Um, most people, when they say they're building something, you know, around the idea of the metaverse, they immediately are jumping to some application where you can go in and like be in a spot with lots of different people and characters and stuff like that. Um, and they start it. We think they start at the end instead of starting at the beginning. In the beginning, you should start with stories, and then you can create characters out of those stories, and then you can create content on top of those characters, and then you can create activities, and then you can create um, spaces, and then you can create worlds. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of Fourth Revolution Capital. Podcast guests and 4RC may have positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Hey everyone, welcome to the Edge Podcast. I'm DeFi Dad and I'm joined here by my co-host from 4RC Nomadic. In this episode, we're talking with Aaron McDonald, the co-founder and CEO of Futureverse. Futureverse is a leader in revolutionary metaverse and AI technologies that will enable open, scalable, and interoperable apps, games, and experiences. If you're familiar with some of the most popular NFT collections since 2021, Futureverse is the umbrella entity that develops Web3 native IP, such as Fluffs, AI League, Altered State Machine, Party Bears, Seekers, Cool Cats, The Next Legends, Gods and Goblins, and more. Despite the crypto winter the last few years, Futureverse recently announced raising $54 million to quote, marry AI and the metaverse. Stay tuned as Aaron guides us through the massive undertaking to develop Futureverse's iconic IP that will benefit from AI and the digitally native rails of the metaverse. But before we get started, just a quick word from our sponsors who make the Edge podcast possible. For most of us, our crypto journey started with MetaMask. And now with MetaMask Portfolio, we can do so much more. MetaMask Portfolio puts you in control. Use the dashboard to see all your assets and balances across your wallets in one place. The buy feature allows us to buy crypto assets effortlessly with fiat options such as PayPal or credit card. The swap feature allows us to swap any tokens anytime by finding a selection of available rates. The bridge feature allows us to bridge between networks, including Ethereum, L1s, and L2s, based on the best price and fastest delivery time. And with the stake feature, anyone in a few clicks can stake ETH and earn rewards. Do more in Web3 your way with a safe, simple, and convenient tool that's all in one place. Track and manage your Web3 everything at metamask.io portfolio. Whether you're a trader, farmer, analyst, or newbie, you can trade smart with KyberSwap, the OG decentralized exchange and aggregator on 13 chains. Swap at the best rates, farm with real yields, set limit orders, use their proprietary trading and AI tools with the best UX in DeFi, securely and permissionlessly. Get better rates, better opportunities, better alpha, and a better trading experience. Trade smart now at kyberswap.com. It all started so simply with CryptoKitties and Maker on Ethereum, but quickly became complex with more applications and many chains. Today, everyone agrees, UX issues are the biggest blocker standing in the way of crypto adoption. Introducing Avocado. Multi-chain UX redesigned from the ground up. The first wallet to abstract networks, accounts and gas. One gas tank to pay transaction fees on all chains in USDC and native access to Instadap's powerful custom DeFi strategies. Avocado, one wallet to rule all chains. 
All right. So just a bit of background about Aaron before we introduce him. Aaron McDonald has long been an innovator with his eye on the future across many sectors, from telecommunications to now Web3. Aaron is the founder of multiple metaverse companies developed independently, but now rolled up under one umbrella entity, an open metaverse powerhouse called Futureverse, which we're going to talk all about today. Aaron, welcome to the Edge Podcast. How are you doing? Hey, man, I'm good. Glad to be on here. Yeah, good Good to talk to you. Uh, I was actually thinking about this interview just because my, my kids watch Bluey, and I know that Bluey, I'm fairly confident, is a, is a product of like the Australian government, which is close enough to New Zealand, at least. And obviously, all, all three of us here have kids, and I, I feel like this conversation runs very uh, parallel to or tangential to all this like iconic IP that we grew up with and now our kids are enjoying. And so anyways, just really interested to dig into the just massive uh, challenge of building what, what we're going to call a, a metaverse or open metaverse company. Um, but before we, we talk more about Futureverse, um, Aaron, can you just give us the highlights reel of, of your background and, and like all the cool stuff you've worked on in crypto prior to Futureverse? Yeah. Um, so my background, I've been in tech for, I think, 25 years now. Um, I started out um, engineering and um, then kind of made my way through um, the business, learning different things in different parts, in sales, um, marketing, product management, product development, um, business um, kind of leadership and corporate venture and then eventually made my way out, way out into the startup world um where i i um got interested in uh web3 kind of personally playing around um 2015 2016 um and then to 2016 decided to kind of get full-time into the space and um started a venture studio that was helping companies um to incubate and accelerate um, their ideas around, particularly around um, consumer adoption of Web3. So thinking about how we can improve the user experience um, for onboarding users and the infrastructure around um, how users would interact with Web3 um, in the real world. And um, we started, you know, building that out. We, we grew the portfolio to around 30 different um, companies um, and then we started to think about you know if we've solved usability issues how do we kind of get people to to into the space and um, content became like the thing that we felt was going to be the big um, user funnel for mainstream adoption and so we started to do the same thing find companies ex uh, incubate accelerate companies that were building um, at that intersection of web3 and content um, and then after a while we we got approached by some growth stage funds, um, 10T being one of them, um, to to who were looking at this kind of ecosystem and said, "Hey, why don't you roll a bunch of those up into something that's bigger?" Um, so we did, and that's that's what the Futureverse became. So we pulled together 11 different companies that were either um, you know building that kind of core technology for user onboarding and interoperability um, through to the games and applications experience through to AI tools for um, building content in the metaverse. That's awesome. I, I didn't know you had like such long roots kind of like on that user side, um, which obviously like dovetails 
perfectly into what you're doing with Futureverse. I think before we dive into Futureverse, I would just love for you to describe kind of like when you got this big idea for the metaverse and, and maybe more importantly, like what the term metaverse means to you. We like Obviously, that's a term that's been thrown around a lot the last few years and we'd just love to hear what it means to you and the Futureverse team. Yeah, I think it, it is can be a bit of a loaded term um, and I think um, our view of the metaverse is just um, is sim- is simply the internet growing up. It's um, it's if we think about kind of um, our lives and our society now, um, the digital part of that is so deeply ingrained in everything that we do that there isn't a distinction between the digital world and and the physical world. Um, you know, people use the term um, digital economy as if it's some kind of separate thing. Um, to the economy like if we took the digital out of the economy today we'd have no economy um, we spend um, you know the average human born in this generation will spend 44 years of their life looking at a screen you're in the metaverse you know it exists and um, what we think is that um, the metaverse is about um, this kind of increasingly um, integrated user experience where um, we where experiences can be more immersive so you think of like a term like immersive convergence where silos that used to be kind of separate things start to become um, part of the same experience and like a really early and simple example of that was we used to have media companies and we used to have communications companies I was in telecommunications um, and they were so separate that they had their own networks. Um, and then we started to see social media come out and it ate both their lunches. It combined media and communications into a single user experience. And you kind of keep going down that journey. We had things like gaming and finance and um, commerce and um, all of those things were distinct things that you went to go and do in distinct places. Um, and we see that trend of convergence starting to happen more and more, you know, um, social commerce. Commerce used to be over there, used to go to an e-commerce website and do your thing, and now commerce happens in the same space as your social. Um, You know, the fastest growing um, retail channels in the world are on TikTok. Um, And so we see this kind of convergence happening there. You could argue um, DeFi is the convergence of um, finance and gaming. You know, people applying game game theory principles to engage users around um, financial applications. And so the metaverse is just the continuation of that trend of immersive convergence and breaking down the barriers. And I think one important distinction, though, is that the metaverse isn't a game or an app. Um, it's the collection of interoperable uh, applications, experience and content that are grounded in user-owned data, assets, and content. Um, because that's what creates this kind of interoperability, which is super important for the idea of the metaverse, as opposed to what we've had in the past. And when I look at the Futureverse ecosystem, it's a collection of this like new IP that seems to serve you know, very different profiles, some of which like I kind of alluded earlier to like something like a Bluey or... One of my kids loves Scooby-Doo. And I feel like if Scooby-Doo or Bluey were recreated today, if it was starting fresh, 
there's this opportunity uh, to uh, deliver or distribute that content in a digitally native form, digitally native like platform that you know benefits from some of the like permissionless like types of Legos that we all build with. So I mean, and also I think you hit it right on the head with like the idea that like DeFi is almost like this intersection of games and finance. Some of those games suck. They're yeah, super yeah, boring. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, here you go. Just collateralize this and borrow that. And it's 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 a little dull. And then sometimes we see these new applications. I, I kind of consider like the buying and selling of NFTs to be like technically like a DeFi use case, but it's fun because we're selling and buying things that are just more attractive to look at, more fun to show off to our friends. More emotional. Yeah. And it's not even like when when people say the term gaming in reference to the metaverse, they often literally mean games. Um, and that's a part of it. But um, I think that the more important thing to understand is that um, the notion of experience is being gamified. So it's not, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, a dude running around shooting something. Um, it's just thinking about the theories of gameplay um, when you're designing and building your products and weaving those things into it. And if you look at things like, you know, the the way that we're doing um, tokens, getting tokens out to community with the root network, we've created this future quest system, which is gamifying the way people participate in um, in that activity and in growing the ecosystem and the community and the network. And so that's a good example of, um, you know, using gamification in a way that isn't, you know, directly someone running around, you know, in, in a game environment. Yeah, totally agree with that. Like, I think the definition of gamified or gamification is just going to take so many different forms. Like, it's not going to be this like skeuomorphic representation of like, oh, I'm a, you know, player and I'm scrolling through a 2D side scroller. It's like, it can be so many different shapes and forms. So one, one other stat that you mentioned there that uh, really stuck with me is the 44 years of screen time in our future. Man, that is that is something scary to think about. And yeah, like we are already in the metaverse. Wild. Um, I want you to maybe speak to some of this like early IP that you've rolled up into Futureverse. So the the early one that I remember even before I kind of knew who was behind it, was these bunnies that just came on the scene. Um, kind of some were scary looking. Uh, they're called fluffs. Like maybe just give us a, a little bit of a history of that and then some of the other IPs that you've created and then since rolled up. Yeah, so um, fluffs um, was I th- was was a project created by a um, business Non-Fungible Labs, which I helped co-found. And Non-Fungible Labs was was working on how to create, take what was a very, um, you know, lo-fi um, collectibles experience with NFTs and turn it into something that was more interactive. Um, and so Fluent Fluffs came out, they were the first, um, you know, dynamic multimedia 3D um, NFT collections that allowed users to customize the way that their avatars um, looked and feel um, by um, being able to change the background scenes that the characters were in and the music 
that was behind them. And so um, we were thinking about like a few things in there, like how do you create content that people can feel like is their own, that isn't static, you know, it can move with culture and with the community. Um, and that lays the groundworks for um, creating a bigger world of content and characters. And um, that got expanded out, you know, um, to include uh, the thingies, which is these 3D spiders that are actually AI brains that can generate art. Um, and this was like way before, you know, AIGC was a big buzz. Um, there was the party bears, there's the seekers, there's the eight for all stars, there's gods and goblins, there's um, the Adam Car Club, there's uh, the next legend boxes. There's about 20 different um, collections within the ecosystem of, you know, native Web3 um, IP. And now increasingly we're working with some of the world's largest brands to kind of bring their IP to life inside this ecosystem. Our thesis was always that um, if you if you think of like um, most people when they say they're building something, you know, around the idea of the metaverse, they immediately are jumping to some application where you can go in and like be in a spot with lots of different people and characters and stuff like that. Um, and they start at, we think they start at the end instead of starting at the beginning. In the beginning, you should start with stories and then you can create characters out of those stories and then you can create content on top of those characters and then you can create activities and then you can create um, spaces and then you can create worlds um, and, and games. And so kind of that's, the, that's been the thesis from the start is kind of build this thing up so that when you get to that end goal, there's some depth there. It's not just this empty place that has nothing in it and no life and no story to tell. Aaron, uh, some of the different collections you were just running through there, is this more of a science or an art? Because like, I look at how just like cool the, these are, like the party bears. And, and, and I want to keep in mind and level set with the fact that like, I'm still DeFi dad. I don't spend a lot of time, you know, deep in the depths of like collecting, um, you know, NFT art. I, I, at the end of the day, I, I think I'm like probably one of the folks who like tries to like uh, uh, play at the intersection of both of these. And and so for someone like me to get drawn into like fluffs and AI league, it's just it's just fun. It's, it was a really cool sort of partnership you had with FIFA. Um, altered state machine. Those are so cool looking. So anyways, uh, you know, is this more of a science or an art? I think it's, it's a bit of both. I mean, we have incredibly talented, um, artists within our teams who have created these things. Um, but at the same time, we've been a bit, you know, deliberate about where the gaps in, um, a collection fits from a segmentation point of view and um, from an overall kind of, um, you know, p patchwork of um, stories that could come together to make something, you know, more immersive and fun to, to experience. And so, you know, there's been very deliberate choices about what kinds of um, characters get introduced to fit those different segments or different kinds of things that those characters could do over time. I want to get into this um, intersection of metaverse and AI. Um, so you and I guess the ASM team, um, Altered State Machine, were really early to this interplay of, of AI and metaverse. 
Um, it feels like more and more people are converging on this now in the space. Can can you walk us through how AI and metaverse intersect kind of in your in your mind? Yeah, um, I think um, the first thing to keep in mind is that they're two ends of the same trend. Um, you know, this in the part of kind of popular narrative, there was this, you know, the metaverse is dead, you know, long live AI is basically been the the theme of the last um you know six six months or so um and um i think that's very narrow-minded and short-sighted because if for everyone out there who believes that aigc is going to change the world um you know that users will be able to go and type um and conjure the, the content and worlds and experiences that they want um that is the starting line for every metaverse, great metaverse story is a machine that enables people to bring worlds to existence. So if you believe in AI and that there's going to be these tools to create this, um, you know, create this new generation of creators of content, um, where is that content going to live if not the metaverse? Um, and so I think that um, we we got... You know, we got this notion very early on that um, in order for the idea of the metaverse to become true, you'd have to make tools that enabled users to create rich experiences in the metaverse. And Alter State Machine was born out of the idea that um, artificial intelligence would play a huge role in the way that our digital ecosystems build out and um, ownership of agents in this metaverse of experiences um would be a really important thing so um you know team has been building two on two sides one is like protocols to create ownership of agents so that you can um make them interoperable and so that you can make them tradable and all those other cool things that come along with um web3 um you know property ownership on the internet um and uh and then on the other side building the tools and the uh, models to support a variety of different user experiences and they're roughly in two camps um one is around creating content so we have music generation um, image generation 3d um, object and character generation um you know automated animation of those characters and content um and then the other side we have you know what we'd call like actions things that they can do so ways to make those things come alive in metaverse environments and it is you know there's a big wave of hype out there and you'll see every other day someone you know doing ai in a game which is generally just like their characters talk to chat chat gpt um and you know be a thousand of these um, startups and projects that come to market with that stuff. But we've been thinking about this for a long time and actually solving the hard problems around um, how do you scale this stuff up to work inside of economies that um, that exist in the game world. You know, like the FIFA AI League you mentioned earlier, um, there are eight AI agents playing in each one of those matches. Um, and um, we've been able to design technology um that patent pending technology that enables us to scale training of millions of avatars 
at economics that work for free-to-play mobile gaming. Um, and so, um, you know, the hype is real in the sense that AI will change the landscape for content creation and experiences on the internet and a whole bunch of things across lots of industries. Um, but most people haven't even don't even realize the problems they're going to have to solve yet, you know, that we've been working on now for for five or six years. Um, and so when this all starts to kind of get out into the hands of um, users, um, they'll be able to get an aha moment. Okay, these guys have thought deeply about how all these layers come together from infrastructure up to experience and, and um, in a really integrated way. Yeah, I, I feel like builders like you you're dealing with uh, limited battle-tested building blocks. And a few of those that, that we all now, I think, have more confidence in are like digitally native money. We've got digitally native finance. We've got whatever you want to classify NFTs as like digitally native ownership of just anything that you want, which is really cool. And then we've got digitally native intelligence that's now in development with AI so you think about like what other fundamental foundational building blocks are coming and then all the creative things that are going to come from people working on that. And honestly, I, I feel like in just the past 30 minutes talking, I'm like having that like realization again that like, God, we are so early because there are going to be not just tens of millions of people, but hundreds of millions, billions of people that are working and benefiting from uh, businesses, ideas, projects, whatever, that are using all of this. And it's just kind of like thinking about what you said, the next um, evolution of the internet. Um, one specific use case that we haven't talked about that I, I really wanted to get your take on, uh, and it, it doesn't sit within the, the Futureverse ecosystem yet, you know, adult content has always been at the bleeding edge of technology. How do you start to think about that? Because it still has this like taboo sort of like nature to it. And um, yeah, I, I feel like adult content is the adult industry, however you want to uh, classify that. It, it's going to be quick to adopt uh, Web3 metaverse related technology. Yeah, I mean, um, without kind of um, saying anything I shouldn't, I think it's a really interesting space. And um the you're right that um adult content has led adoption in lots of different kinds of technologies on the internet and i don't think there will be an exception here um it's a it's a fascinating space with i think lots and lots of um you know potential to change the way that market dynamics work and content production works um the um you know, the, there have been a couple of things that have popped up in the AI space that have become very popular very quickly and then shut down equally quickly um, by payment rails, um, you know, and banks who, you know, couldn't get their moral um, their sign off for, for, for getting behind those things. And so um, that is naturally going to push people into, you know, Web3 permissionless money payment systems for these things because humans want to consume this stuff um you know we um it's not something you can hide from it's part of humanity that we like sex it's the literal reason we exist um and so 
Um, so that is definitely coming. I think it's coming hard and fast for that sector of content for sure. One thing you were talking about earlier, Aaron, was just this focus on scalability almost from the outset, like the very beginning. I've seen the opposite approach. Like I saw um, Dapper Labs with like Crypto Kitties and then NBA Top Shot. They kind of did the same thing twice. Like I know they thought they had the uh, infrastructure figured out with like the Flow blockchain, but then they ran into this massive payment uh, KYC AML situation because they got too big and they couldn't process payments fast enough and another massive bottleneck. So I definitely think there's obviously something to addressing, you know, like creating all that underlying infrastructure. Like if you think you're going to be successful, plan for success. Don't plan to be successful and then, you know, you're completely screwed, right? Um, that kind of brings us into, you went out and build a, built a new blockchain, uh, the root network. So, I mean, that is like a monumental lift to just, you know, spin up. I, I use the term spin up like it's that easy. Uh, a new L1. I'm just curious, like, what made you feel like you needed to build something from scratch and, and not, you know, utilize any pre-existing infrastructure for what you're building? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it is a really simple answer to that. It took a while to get to that point, but when we went out there and talked to folks around um, what their chain did that was different to, say, Ethereum, um, almost universally, the answer was it's faster and cheaper. Um, and so while faster and cheaper is a problem space that's important, it was not the problem space we felt was going to make the difference for users. So let's say fast and cheap is a solved problem. What's actually going to make the difference? Because we've had fast and cheap for a while, and um, despite the fact that there are 320-odd million holders of crypto in the world, only a fraction of those actually interact with the blockchain directly, and even fewer with DeFi apps, and even fewer with nfts and why is that in a segment of people who are obviously open to risk um, and early adopters do we get such low you know flow through or such high drop off and that is because the onboarding and user experience is crap um you know it is terrible um and so when we thought about what we needed to do to um win new customers and new um, users into Web3, it became much more about um, that onboarding experience and the user safety journey from there. And the only way to address that is to think differently about how the blockchain set up. Um, and so we built Root starting with user experience, not starting with how to make a faster Ethereum or a smarter Bitcoin, um, which has been the premise for pretty much every other chain out there. With one exception, actually, I think um, the SUI guys, you know, they have, I think, a very similar philosophy to us in terms of thinking about what creates um, good user adoption, user experience pathways. Um, but outside that, you know, no one I've I've spoken to ever once mentioned user experience in their rationale for why they built their networks the way they did. Um, and so, you know, we've taken the view that 
um, to provide the best user experience in the open metaverse, we need to start with a vertically integrated approach so that everything knits together nicely and can create that overall user experience when they're using applications and content um, within the ecosystem and provide those tools out to developers and builders so that they can build on top of that. So most of the collections we've talked through, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, I believe most of those were uh, you know, NFTs that ultimately got sold on Ethereum layer one. How are you thinking then about future in terms of root, the legacy uh, uh, that has been built already there with NFTs that were on Ethereum layer one. And then we have this like exploding, you know, ecosystem of uh, L2s. Uh, are you thinking of it all being like interoperable across everything? I'm, I'm, tr I'm almost trying to hone in on like, what at a high level do you think will hinge more on the root network versus everything that sort of lives across, you know, all these different L1s and L2s. Yeah, I think so. First of all, we're not um, one chain maxis. I just don't think that that you can be, I don't think you can believe in de decentralization and at the same time believe that one chain rules them all um, because they're kind of opposing viewpoints. And so um, our, our kind of architectural approach is to support a multi-chain experience um, we think users will choose to anchor assets in different spaces or companies will or um, ip creators will um, and um, and there's this kind of misnomer that um, nfts make interoperable content easy they actually if anything make it worse um, you know while the erc token stand ASC uh, 721 or 1155 token standards are great for on-chain token interoperability they do absolutely nothing for actual content interoperability um, and there is no standardized way or ontology for data to be written to those things that makes it easy for applications to make them interoperable um, and so what we've done with um, the root network and Future Pass is create a system where um, users can aggregate content across multiple chains and then developers can um, embed in, uh, in the asset register those tokens with an ontology that supports an interoperability. Um, and so we're definitely of the view that um, a multi-chain future exists, um, but that as a core interoperability layer the root can play an important part to connect the data across those different chains in a way that is um, meaningfully useful to applications who want to make that content interoperable and the same with identity as you think about like assets and identity in the same bucket like providing a core place where your identity can live in a safe space and have the ability to then control um, applications and accounts from this, that core identity as well. Aaron, if we shift gears to thinking more about the operations of Futureverse, which is just overwhelming for me to even consider, I don't think I've ever had a day where I envy uh, just how expansive this mission is that you're working on. So given what uncharted territory we're in, how do you begin to think about measuring success yourself as like the, the lead, the head of Futureverse? Uh, and then maybe if you could call out the the next 
closest milestone that you're looking forward to in terms of measuring that success? Yeah, I think I think like we can chunk things down into um, you know immediate and medium term and long term goals. Like in the immediate term, um, it's very product focused, and like the big thing that's going on at the moment is you know spinning up the root network and getting that out into the hands of the community and um, really starting to grow the ecosystem around that. On one side, on the other side, um, it's packaging. Um, all the tools we've been working on internally and making those available to developers um, and um, and creators. And so it's kind of very kind of initially product heavy focus of getting these kind of first building blogs out there and um, into the hands of people who can go and make something of them. In the kind of um, medium term focus to long term focus, it's really around user adoption. It's like kind of taking those products and um, empowering the content experiences and the brand partnerships we have to go out there and reach those new audiences um, you know and along that journey you know, look at different milestones for for user adoption um, and um, you know going from where we are today up into millions and millions of users so um, yeah so I think like mix of product milestones in the short term to medium term and then um, adoption milestones in the long term. Aaron, I don't know if we've talked to anybody yet that's talked about users, user adoption, and just mentioned the term users so many times. I think I think it's a good thing. Um, and, and you're right, there's, there's not many blockchains that are built for users first. Um, in fact, I find them all quite hard to use in the beginning. Um, I want to talk a bit about how you've gone about attracting IP and other dApps, I guess, to come and build on the root network. Has it been harder or easier than expected? And then I, I had another question about partnerships, but I think we can just roll those into one. Um, maybe maybe speak to some of the other big partnerships that I know we've, we've talked a little bit about FIFA and the AI League, but any other kind of major IPs building on Futureverse and then then maybe give us some alpha. Like what? What don't? What don't we know about? Can you drop some breaking news here? No pressure. Um, to answer the first part, our um, approach to building adoption in the developer ecosystem is um, comes from a few points. Um, first of all, you know, create this um, center of content that gives us like a bootstrap. And you've seen a lot of that. A lot of that out there already. Um, then second stage is to use the tools that created that content to onboard, you know, bigger brands and create, um, a center of gravity of users with those brands. And then the, the stage after that is where you really kind of push hard into the develop, um, developer ecosystem. Um, and that's a very common approach for platform builders. Um, you think of how, um, AWS started you know they started being their own customer with Amazon and then they started to onboard some big um, heavy users and then once they figured out how to make that work and scale they started to go out and penetrate into the mass market um, you know the iOS app store started with Apple's apps that you use on your phone every day and then they went and got some big boys Microsoft you know all, all those kind of brands um, to build the first, you know, tranche of applications. 
to create that user user gravity and then the, the next stage is kind of the broader developer market so we're taking the same approach you've got to give um, developers both financial incentives and a user base to want to build from um, and so um, we have to you know try and bootstrap those two first things with our own content first and the partner content second um, not to say that we're not in parallel working on the broader developer ecosystem so um, we you know just launched the outlier base camp um, for startup um, for startups who are wanting to come and build with the Futureverse and on the root network um, and so the um, Born Ready Basecamp is going to start that job of getting into the next layer of um, developers um, a little bit of alpha we signed a deal recently and I won't name names but um, to, to make a strategic um, a large strategic investment in a a company that has a huge amount of penetration in the game developer market um, and so we're, we're doing moves along the way to um, to make sure that we can get in front of um, developers and start to build that pipeline of people who want to build inside of the Futureverse ecosystem with us um, with companies who are aligned to the same values that we have about the open metaverse um, so yeah that's kind of roughly our um, strategy is you know um, build from the core out and create the the gravity that brings those developers in. And then in terms of the the brands and the IP, um, <laughs> I can't really say more than what's in the public domain now. But um, if people are watching closely, they'll they'll definitely have been picking up on some hints of um, other partners that we'll be announcing in the kind of later, later half of this year. So stay tuned, folks. You, you must just get sick of this. Like you, you drop so much and then we're always like, what's next? Give yeah, us I more. Know, I know. Tell us another name, Aaron. <laughs> and the good thing is like, we're signing them up pers persistently, you know, like I think, um, the, the idea that, um, web three and the metaverse is dead in the minds of corporates is, and brands is totally wrong. They might not be out there shouting it from the rooftops because that's not what's sexy for their shareholders, but, um, but they are very aware of the fact that this is going to change the way consumers interact on the internet and they want, they don't want to miss the boat. So yeah, we've talked a bit about, I guess, the developer side partnership landscape. And we've kind of talked about the users a bit, but what sort of strategies or um, kind of onboarding principles are you bringing to Web3 to actually bring users here and, and make it as frictionless as possible? Yeah, I mean, I think like if you, if you look at the Futureverse strategy um the first point in our strategy is make the technology invisible make it feel like magic and um so that says everything about how we think about onboarding users is they should be using this stuff without even thinking of it and if you think of like um ai league um you know which is well over two hundred thousand downloads now in its first month um not I, I guarantee you 95% of those people have no idea that there's a blockchain behind it. Aaron, sorry to interrupt, but how many downloads did you say? Uh, well over 200,000. Wow. I didn't know it was that high. I think the last tweet I saw you do was it was around 50,000, 50K. So that's that's phenomenal. No, Congrats, it's, uh, it's racing up. We'll be half a million, not too distant future. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So, you know, our goal is to make 
yeah, make the technology invisible. And I think one of the things that's probably hindered Web3 and NFTs and crypto in general is um, the idea that we shove technology in people's faces. You know, there's a very small segment of the world that actually gives a shit about that stuff. And, um, and most people are just interested in what, um, you know, what the thing does for them, not how it works. Um, and so um, we're very, very focused on removing those, you know, friction points in the user experience around Web3 so that people can just use it as if they were using any other application in the world. Aaron, while we've got you, I, I definitely want to hear your thoughts on Web3 gaming, but the whole conversation has me now like questioning what I would define as Web3 gaming. Like I think a lot of the mechanics that go into the IP that you work on, you know, you could ultimately classify this all as, as gaming. And, and so I guess if I do define it as like a format of a game, like a battle Royale type game, or uh, maybe a trading card game, something that's very familiar to us uh, in the web two gaming world or traditional gaming world, how do you begin to think about like, I'm going to call it like web three accelerated gaming or web three improved gaming. Like what do we need for the mainstream to just go wild for this, to, you know, to be able to overcome the, the challenges of setting up a wallet or, uh, doing all the sorts of things that we do as like crypto natives. Well, first of all, don't make them do that. I mean, that's what future pass is about. You can go in into future pass and, sign sign up now for a future pass and it doesn't we don't even call it a wallet because like who the f knows what that is um and so um so i think you know being you know de-jargonizing things is a big part of that the second thing is make good games first you know the web3 gaming space was and largely is shit because people thought about how to um make tokens work not how to make fun games um and so um i think we will see shortly and it's not just us there are some other really great teams out there that are going to bring to market some compelling experiences that are new and 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 show how why this technology can provide a diff different and fun user experience um you know the over financialization of um, content and gaming um, within the Web3 space, I think, um, was a big, um, you know, slowdown, caused a big slowdown in the adoption of this stuff. Because if you step back from it and talk to gamers about, you know, what would they like to see and, and what's important to them, like things like ownership are important. Um, and we kind of ruined the opportunity um, by over financializing these um collectibles for creating you know value and a stream of you know fans and users um who actually value the underlying capability that this technology provides and i think it's just it's one of those things that you can have all the arguments you like you know for or against whether this you know um is the right thing to do or not but you can't escape the fact that openness wins on the internet that um, value as an, a native internet protocol will exist in the mainstream. Um, 
And so the technology that powers all of those gaming experiences in the future will be anchored in Web3. Web um, and if we do our job well enough, no one will know. That's awesome. And I totally agree. The The token side of just making the tokens work um, really took precedent there for a while. And, you know, as like a, a longtime gamer myself, but also like a speculator, there was something about that that still drew me in, of course. And I hope there's still a happy medium for certain games where they get that formula right, where the game can still be fun. There can still be that element of like tokenization to it um, and just kind of figure out that delicate dance. But I know it's not easy to do. That's really not. I think I'm not saying that the economic aspects aren't important. They are because um, you can't have an open um, internet which is supported by open infrastructure without financial incentives. That that doesn't work. Um, and so core, you know, a core reason why decentralization exists is the financial game that is being played by people who are running infrastructure. Um, and it's super important. It's just not important for everyone. It's important for the small number of specialized users that um, get into the the nitty gritty of this stuff and I think there's been a um, a tendency in the web 3 space to drop everyone into the same segment um, and if you look at any mature market in the world or product in the world the, the marketing people in those products and businesses are doing fine grain segmentation of users and funneling them into um, the right experience for where their interest is. And so it's great to have a core community like ours, you know, very strong, loyal, gets the the um, infrastructure game that's being played, helps bootstrap that ecosystem. Um, and they should be rewarded for doing that because they're contributing to the infrastructure that makes this stuff work. Um, but not everyone has to play that game. Yeah, totally agree. There'll be there'll be further segmentation once the space matures and grows and, and, and more players come into it. You have to be active about it, though. You can't just say, you know, segmentation is going to happen. Um, you have to, like, go out and do the research to find the segments and then develop those segments. They just don't appear. Okay, you mentioned uh, Future Pass. And another thing that I guess users can now do is go check their future score. I uh, I went and checked mine while we're on this uh, this pod, and it's 210. Is that good or bad? It's good for you. Am I gonna make it? <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am just uh, a small player. Everything above zero, you're gonna make it. Okay, so it's it's better to have a high number. Okay, got yeah. it. Okay, <laughs> um, maybe fill us in on what future score is, and then I've seen like I guess the first quest was to link your future past, check your future score. And, 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 but I, I feel like there's going to be more quests oh, to yeah. come. Yeah. Uh, can you, can you give us any uh, indications on what those might look like or, or what's to come? Yeah, no. So I think um, to, for those of you who don't know, future score is um, uh, for one of a better reference point, a loyalty system um, that allows 
um, our community members to um, accumulate points based on the things they own and the things they do. Um, and so if you're um, an active participant in the ecosystem, your score will grow. Um, you could be by buying a collectible and holding it. Could depend on the rarity of that thing. It could be. It'll depend on how long you've held it for, or continue to hold it for. Um, the things you do, you know, if we put these quests and challenges out there that help us test different parts of the network, or grow the community, or grow the infrastructure. And you complete those things, that'll improve your score. Um, if you go out and recruit people to um, come and join the Futureverse, that'll improve your score. So there's all these different mechanisms to actually drive. Um, meaningful user adoption and infrastructure adoption um you know i think a lot of projects out there um they try and recruit users through things like airdrops and stuff like that and um it creates transient users that don't really add long-term value to the protocol and so future scores designed to um to create real you know active community members who are growing that um infrastructure and um and participating in the economy that works hand in hand with future quests. And so um, when we issue a quest, there'll be a reward and root tokens aligned to that quest. And the higher your score, the higher number of root tokens you get for that um, for that quest. And the first quest was just simply generate your score. But actually in that quest, we're doing some pretty cool things, which was allowing you to, um, to join multiple wallets into your same, same future pass and um, starts to allow users to do things like account delegation within that um, so that they can um, you know have um, things that live in different spaces but that they can um, uh, aggregate into a single view for applications that want to interact with that content and that users can control those different things from one point one identity point um, and the the, there's a whole lineup of quests coming up afterwards. I think we're very close to announcing quest two. If you've been um, keeping track of what's going on in the uh, social channels, you'll know that um, staking's the next big thing we're talking about now. So you can expect a quest associated with that. So get on the lookout and help come and um, build out the the proof of stake system within the root network. That's awesome. I, I think I even saw with the staking um, element, there's there's like a tiered system where like you can just be a very passive staker, take no risk and, and receive a reward. Or you can, um, I think, delegate to a certain validator and maybe take more risk in that validator. So if, if you know a competent validator, you can kind of back them. Yeah, I think that like, again, everything we're doing is designed to allow users to glide into you know more and more responsibility as a web3 citizen and so providing the opportunity to participate in a low friction simple way for people to get their heads around and then build up to you know the top level which is being a validator yourself um and you know as we go through that journey gamifying how um people become participants in running infrastructure on the networks look out for some cool little things there I love as as we're talking here. I'm like having FOMO over that, and, and I, I just got on to uh, uh, for for those that are new to this, you go to futurepass.futureverse.app and um, just follow the prompts. It's really easy. Uh, it doesn't cost any gas either. If you've got you know one of the 
really common wallets, something like a MetaMask. But uh, it, you know, the best way to gamify this is to just have one of your best friends say on a podcast that you know they were checking their score, and you're like, "Hold on a sec, I I can do I that. Did, it works. It works. It, it really <laughs> does." Pretty pretty sure my score isn't good though, so uh, you you can probably accrue that pretty quick there. Do you find that? No worries, man. Um, Aaron, another thing I saw recently that was really cool and it came through Billboard of all places was this uh, release of Gen 1. Um, can you speak a bit about this? Uh, and, and then maybe how might this integrate into Futureverse suite of products and NFTs if I think that's where it might be going? Yeah, so um, Gen 1 came out of our Altered State Machine research team and um, Gen 1 is J-E-N. Um, Jen is your kind of personal music producer um, and she helps um, anyone create the music that exists in their head. Um, we've been working on music for a while now and our, our team of PhDs published a paper um, recently which outlined our approach to Gen 1 um, and some samples comparing it to Meta's model and Google's model. Um, and, uh, and if you go and read you, if you have you know an inclination on the academic side you can go and read the paper itself if you if you go and jump into futureverse.com under the research section there's also a what the what the f is gen one which is a series that will go alongside our academic papers to kind of break them down into simple language so you can learn a lo- little bit more if you're not so academically inclined um, but the core uh, the essence of it was that gen was designed based on the way people hear music um, and a lot of the models before that ignored the way that the frequency of music hits the human ear um, and so our research team built a model that takes that into account and also provides a whole bunch of um, you know features which um, enable higher quality music production and um, and work can work hand in hand with professional music creators. Um, we've been very deliberate with Gene to consult with the music industry, producers and publishers and labels and um, artists and in that process and what they want to see in an AI tool. And also, um, you know, how we can respect um, creators in the process of training these models as well. And so those are like really cool principles. We'll start to talk more about the business around Gene and the partners that we've got in the music industry around that as we get closer to launching Gene to the public. Um, the In terms of the intersection between Gene and NFTs, um, our view on a lot of these um, AI creator tools, so if you think about what I said earlier about being able to type the worlds you imagine into existence, um, you know, music and sound effects play a big part in our experience of those um, worlds Um, and so that was one of those tools Um, there are five core generative tools that work together to to spawn worlds Um, and so um, uh, so where we look at the intersection of that in nfts is if you you can play with gen as a web you know web 2 type experience um like you would with mid-journey or anything like that um and um and kind of not have to think about too much about how blockchain and nfts work but the moment you want to make something tradable or sellable it becomes an nft um and in this case we're linking things like music tracks to brains you if you're in the asm community you know what brains are you want to save a music track 
or um, playlist um, and make it tradable or usable in an interoperable metaverse environment, save it to as a memory to a brain. Um, and so the the idea is for um, all of the things you want that are intelligent and you want to make tradable. That's why ASM brains exist. And a lot of people thought of them, I think, initially as just for characters, and they are good for characters. Um, but we've got dozens of different kinds of things that can create intelligent, interactable um, content within these worlds that brains will be the key to how that content works. Um, we'll be showing some of that stuff shortly in a sandbox for users to start to play with. And again, I think demonstrate how far ahead in the thinking our team is about how these things come together in a gaming environment than, than what perhaps people have seen to date. Aaron, given everything we've discussed today, how do you segment your time and where do you find that you're spending more of your time? Like this could be uh, a two-part question. Where do you have to spend more of your time versus like where do you want to spend more of your time when it comes to everything within Futureverse? You know, I think I have like a really good leadership team. So um, I spend um, time with them and understanding how to help them go faster and do better um and so that's um that's kind of my core job i guess as as ceo is to empower those people to be successful and you know get under the skin of what's going to help make that happen um i spend i spend another big chunk of time on the on the kind of big partnership opportunities you know when it gets to the stage that our partnership teams kind of formed up something that um that could be an opportunity um usually it'll need some you know input in that process from me and shara often to um close those out um and so that's something that i'm kind of pers persistently involved in doing stuff like this you know getting out there and spreading the word and evangelizing what future verses and um why you should care um and um and then if you kind of look at the things i i love doing i'm a product guy at heart um i always have been and so i like to get my hands dirty with my my product team um we don't have a chief product officer so i fill that role myself um because i like to be hands-on and i think it's really important um to to have um my ethos and vision as a founder like deeply imprinted inside the product area plus it's fun for me so yeah aaron uh we also know you as like a major capital allocator in the crypto web 3 space so uh as as fellow investors also just curious you know uh what are you most interested in or most excited to invest in uh moving forward in this space yeah i think i mean the, the great news is in you know markets like this you get the real built builders you know shining through a bit more you know there's less trash to wade through and so there's lots of opportunities to get alongside founders in this space we obviously have a bias towards those who are solving those interop you know interoperability issues or user adoption issues um or who are um creating you know great next generation content experiences um and so we're on we're on the hunt for um companies who are building technology or 
or um, IP properties in those those areas um, where you know we're I think in a market where um, if you have conviction it's a good time to invest um, you know we've been very lucky uh, in the futureverse to have investors who have high conviction um, like like TNT and Ripple who have been able to see through you know the cycles and and um, look for for people who can kind of build value you know intra cycle so um, I think you know it's a really it's a really good time to be an investor because you've got higher quality projects with people who have high conviction um, and less trash to wade through. Yeah, well said. I am bursting at the seams to deploy more capital in this market. I, I could not be more bullish and have more conviction that like this is a space that's going to still grow a thousand x in the next ten years, and uh, we're we're actually at that point in the cycle where. Uh, you know, there there is some like open mockery of like the crypto web three space, and that that that's my favorite part of every yeah, yeah, bear totally. cycle because you know we're just around the corner from things really exploding um, to the upside. Um, well, this is a great place for us to to uh, to wrap up. Um, I, I want to remind listeners uh, first off, they should uh, learn more about Futureverse by going to futureverse.com. We should also go to the link tree. So just go to Linktree slash Futureverse. Um, great place to find all the most important links related to Futureverse. They should follow uh, Futureverse on Twitter. It's just Futureverse. Follow Aaron, of course, on Twitter. It's Aaron MCDNZ. We'll put this all into the show notes and on screen for you. Uh, and then uh, if you want to mint a Future Pass, uh, which is free, doesn't cost any gas. I did it while we were on on the uh, the podcast here. Go to futureverse.com slash uh, future pass. Uh, Aaron, I want to give you the last word then. I feel like we've, we've uh, raked you over the coals in terms of asking you every bit of alpha and what's coming next. But yeah, I'll give you the final word. If there's anything else to uh, share in terms of the roadmap for the rest of 2023 or, or you know, milestones that we can look forward to. Yeah, no, I think like now's the best time you know, there's never been a better time to get involved with the Futureverse, you know, ecosystem. We are on the precipice of all the stuff, um, you know, coming to market and, um, you know, the culmination of those years of work coming out and um, putting in front of people. You can see the momentum building already, um, you know, both on the, the the research side, academic side, the product side, um, the network side the content side um experience side it's all coming together really well so yeah if you if you haven't checked us out come and have a look at what we're building we'd love to have you in the community they're very welcoming um and knowledgeable and uh and you know jump in the discords and stuff and our our, our community members will get you up to speed on everything futureverse i can tell you i can't wait to like someday watch like seekers on netflix or have it be in some like metaverse powered platform yep. through Futureverse, <laughs> Party Bears, uh, Fluffs. I, I look at all this IP and, and it and it really does feel like, uh, you know, it, it it goes up against, you know, the likes of the IP that we all grew up with. And so just congrats on that. I, that, that is something to me that if I had to answer my question earlier about is it a science or an art, it's both but the science behind it for me just it's it's so difficult to repeatedly create this this great ip this 
again iconic ip and and so i i am just always an admirer of these like these new co collections that you've put out and and i'm i'm really interested to know like what's coming next but there's just so much in there that it feels like it's going to appeal to um you know many generations to come it's just a matter of us continuing to build that out and to have the distribution that is the metaverse mature to a place where everyone has access to it thanks everyone for tuning in if you're a talented founder or developer please consider reaching out to our team at fourthrevolution.capital and for future episodes of the edge podcast please check out our link tree at edge underscore pod